Hey guys, you're listening to the Metal Nerd Podcast, and this is your host, Joe Arnold. And today, my guest is Alex Chavez. Hey, Hi, everybody. Alex. Hi. Good to hear from you, Joe. Glad to be on the show. Thanks, man. And uh, Alex is the guitar player from Beyond the Cube. In fact, well, he's playing bass. So is it just bass, or are you doing, doing both? I say bass, but I'm playing bass, I'm playing guitars, I'm playing, uh, I'm writing percussions like Korean drums and uh, things that sound like little skulls and bones rattling and stuff in the background. I'm pretty much the auxiliary man. And my friend Eddie's in the band. He sings and plays acoustic guitar. That's, yeah, his that's job. awesome, man. Right on. <laughs> and maybe at the end of the show, you can plug it and we'll, we'll um, direct people where to uh, check out some, some music. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. Right on. Um, yeah, guys, um, the, you know, help us out if you can. Uh, we got, we're on, um, Instagram here, the metal nerd podcast. Uh, that's our handle. And then, um, you can always contact us at, um, the metal nerd podcast at gmail.com and, uh, let your friends know, share it and, uh, you know, comment or, or I I don't know if you can even do that. What do you call that? Um, give us a a rating on, um, uh, Apple music and uh share on spotify and do all that good stuff help us uh uh, spread the word a little bit the metal nerds must unite during this um trying time yeah um and uh speaking of trying times uh this is the first time i'm doing a a remote podcast alex is at at a location somewhere in the world (laughs) and uh, i'm at my home and uh, uh we're doing it through zencaster which i've recently discovered so happy to do to find um it kind of prompted me to find some new technology and find a way to do this remotely because all the the prior episodes have been um you know in the same room yeah this is this is neat this is neato alex you got your own modern high-tech uh radio show now it's i know uh, callers calling in stuff pretty soon too (laughs) i know right seriously yeah that would actually be kind of cool um all right, so today, I don't even know if I've mentioned it, I'm such a bad uh, host, but we are <laughs> going to be discussing Sound of White Noise by Anthrax. Yeah. And uh, in your face, Joey Belladonna. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I love Joey too, just just not as much as John Bush. But, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to get into all of that later. Um. But this is our first, sorry, excuse me. This is our first one, um, our first Anthrax episode. So I'm really excited. They're a huge, huge influence of mine. And uh, and I would say probably yours, Alex, right? Yeah, I mean, it's probably, uh, you know, um, probably the third album that I bought, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, the first one being MC Hammer, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. Yes. And then uh, U2's uh, Unforgettable Fire. I'm also like Lars Ulrich. I was a, a YouTube fan. Um, yeah. But uh, Sound of White Noise was pretty much my first proper metal album. And it came at a time when there's like a, just a bunch of stuff converging. And it's just, uh, it's not just metal. It's like all these different things. So it's, the, the Africa's a pretty cool band. They blend a lot of stuff together. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um. All right. I'm going to get into the um, the fun fact, the metal fun facts really quick. Uh, Sound of White Noise, <laughs> brought to you by Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Sound of White Noise is the sixth studio album by American thrash metal band Anthrax, released in May 1993 on Elektra Records. Um, at the same time, uh, Metallica was on Elektra Records. So, you know, just to kind of give people the scope, you know, they, they were a big deal. They were a, a big thing in the early 90s here. Um, it is the band's first album to feature vocalist John Bush, who replaced longtime Anthrax vocalist Joey Belladonna, who, of course, is back in the band and has been for probably, I don't know, what, 10 years, you think, or at least, right, Alex? Yeah, they've uh, they went through a period where they were doing some shows right after John left, and then um, they did a uh, praise music and the new Kings album. So they they are now proper with Belladonna for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but let's see. It is also this was um, Anthrax's last studio album with longtime lead guitarist Dan Spitz. Yeah, and I don't did he did he ever come back? I don't think he came back. He came back, uh, uh, shoot, I think for maybe one or two reunion shows. Um, okay. yeah, yeah, he did actually because he uh, he went off to do like a Swiss Swiss watchmaking. It's like a prodigy or something at like that. And uh, Dan Spitz, I mean, he's also my lazy eye brother because he's got that lazy eye, and so do I. And uh, so I gotta uh, give my tip my hat to John to Dan Spitz there, and uh, <laughs> and I mean you hear his leads and it's playing throughout this whole album. It sounds awesome. Like when you hear the his lead come up, it's like Kirk Hammett. You know, it's like uh, he's he's really awesome. I, I love Dan Spitz. He's one of my favorite guitarists. The leads on this album are great. Yeah, I, I really love the lead playing on this. I, yeah, definitely. I think they stepped it up on this. I I always heard, and this is going back some years now. Um, and this is all from memory, but I heard that Charlie actually did a lot of the writing of the leads. What do you think about that? I think it's Charlie entirely... being the the drummer yeah. who people aren't uh, if they're not aware, but he's a really really good guitar player. Yeah, Charlie Benante is just uh, yeah, he's very talented. Uh, I've over the years heard the same thing, especially on this album. Basically, uh, him and uh, and Ian worked together. Uh, but a lot of the riffs, uh, a lot of the music framework is is uh, is Charlie. And then uh, Scott Ian puts the wrists on it. I think Scott Ian actually helped um, uh, Bush with some of the lyrics too, because a song like "Invisible," um, Scott Ian had a big, big dissertation what what that's about, you know. So, uh, and what seems, and what and what is it about? Uh, basically, uh, it, it seems to me like the song is about um, being uh, you've you've got a friend and and you know you're there for them but when it comes to time for them to be there for you they're, they're gone you know or they they pretty much detract from your life until they need you a lot of stuff that in the mm. album is is simply it's really good how they uh they do a lot of like blown off steam in this album <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of steam to blow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so as as you should on a on a metal record right yeah yeah heavy metal is a lot about uh just uh it's therapy you know getting through things and uh it, you know carries a bit of rebellious attitude but just you know and also about honesty i think hey, metal's a lot about honesty personally yeah for sure yeah metal's really good for that for blown off steam i, re- I recommend it yeah um, <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> um i was actually watching i, I was doing some nerdy um youtube scavenging for some cool anthrax stuff around this time um i think john bush actually said that there was an interview with 
John Bush and Scott Ian on um, Headbangers Ball back in the day with um, Ricky Rackman. Hmm. And I was watching this video, I think for the first time, I don't think I'd ever seen this. And, um, and the, uh, John Bush said that it was like 60, 40, where like Scott Ian wrote like 60% of the lyrics. Wow. So, I mean, that, but I mean, amazing. I think that was always kind of his gig, you know, in Anthrax yeah. was he was like the lyric guy. And then, and even like a, a lot of the prior to John Bush, um, I guess he wrote a lot of the uh, melodies too for, for the vocals. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, or, the, you know, they, they, that like, you know, if I, I'm the man, like they all get into, it. I think Charlie even gets into it and stuff. And that, that was a bit different. That was like, you know, when they had like the, almost like the rap thing going on for a little bit. And, uh, but, um, yeah, Scotty is, you know, he's a pretty creative guy. He's got a lot of stories to tell. And, uh, I'm really glad like this, I think this album is so great because of all the different personalities come together. It's just, uh, very talented guys put together in one, in one room. So. So we got this this uh, album that we're listening to, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that we got the goods for sure. Um, okay, well let, let me finish up the the fun facts here. Um, let's see, we're talking about okay. It was um, produced by Dave Jordan, mm-hmm. who also produced um, "Symbol of Salvation" for Bush's previous band Armored Saint in 1991, and I know that album very well. I love that album. But yeah. the funny thing was the Armored Saint was came second to me like i was uh exposed to anthrax with john bush first and then i i kind of went back and and did my homework and to me that's probably still not not even probably it definitely is my favorite um armored saint record the one that dave jordan produced and that was the last one that he did before joining anthrax yeah so um but uh, let's see. Let's go through. I'm gonna. I wanted to kind of like look through. Um, I did a little bit of a dive on um, Dave Jordan. Do you know much about him? Uh, just I uh, like his work. You know, I've, yeah. I, know, I have both of those albums, and uh, it, you can see a consistency between them, where it's just a big sound, and uh, especially with with this with this album. I, I don't know who engineered it, but the uh, the production is pretty good because you can hear every all the instruments are very very clear, and there's sometimes there's a lot of stuff going on, especially like on a song like uh, Black Lodge, like so much layering, right, um, right. But the production is like awesome. I think that's what makes this album like very listenable. It definitely has a '90s vibe, but I think it's it's extremely well well put together. Technically, I agree. I think it still holds up, man. I I um like. It's one of those things when you first, especially if you're listening on like Spotify or something, where if you listen to like a modern record and then you put this on, yeah, you, you got like your your ears have to adjust. I mean, they're just, they weren't, the albums weren't as loud and they weren't like, I, I mean, they are better engineered now. Like there are, I, I believe they're, well, maybe that's not entirely fair, but you know, the albums do sound better to me now if you listen to the really good artists and um but having said that like you, you just kind of almost have to like let your ears adjust for a second and man um this is i think this was a really well engineered album and i think it sounds great and holds up i mean it's um it probably I, my guess is it probably had some influence on you know how to kind of record metal albums you know from this at this point on so mm, yeah Oh, I mean, yeah. of course, you know, the Black Album was before this, so that was, like, really, like, blueprint number, you know, number one right there. One yeah. One right there, but... 
um anyway all right let's see i mean uh dave jordan let's see he did so first of all it it um notes in here on wikipedia that he didn't even want to be called a producer he considered himself more of an engineer but he did have mm. the producer role on on several albums and um we'll start with um let's see here nothing's shocking by jane's addiction um he engineered a rolling stones album um he did a, he mixed mother's milk by red hot chili peppers he produced uh social distortion self-titled uh facelift by alice in chains in 1990 nice i feel like that probably gave his career some lift as you if you will <laughs> uh, um <laughs> As we mentioned, Symbol of Salvation by Armored Saint. And then that's pretty much... Oh, then he also did Sap and Dirt in 92 by uh, Allison Chain. So, oh, yeah. Um, it also mentioned... I'm pretty sure it mentioned Fishbone at one point. On the oh, show. interesting. Way yeah. different. Um, Yeah, man. So some, you know, some good stuff. I was like looking at that stuff. I am kind of curious, though, because a lot of times I have skipped over... You, you got to kind of scroll to the bottom of the Wikipedia page to look at um, who, um, what do you call that? <laughs> like mixed it and all that. Oh, yeah. Well, those details are, I mean, you know, it's pretty, the producer usually gets like the big hurrah unless the fanfare, right. unless like the engineer is somebody that, that's like known, you know, to work with the producer or just on their own is, is a rock star. But, uh, but you know, mixing is huge, right? And so, okay. Well, this oh, was yeah. mixed by him. Okay. So okay. he produced him, which makes <laughs> sense because if you... He was doing some mixing of some pretty big albums. Um, mastered by Eddie Schreyer, which who I do I do not know who that is, and doesn't even have a link for um, a Wikipedia page. So anyway, there you go. I didn't I didn't skip over those those sweet details this time. So first time for everything. Um, <laughs> it was recorded at Henson Recording Studios, uh, Cherokee Studios, and El Dorado Recording Studios in Hollywood, California. Hmm. And uh, it's considered alternative metal and heavy metal. So there you go. Yeah, definitely alternative metal for sure. Yeah, that was a, you know, I've kind of looked into that whole genre. And um, because, you know, people still use it currently with like bands like even Mastodon and Slipknot and things like that. But um, it goes back. There's, it's almost like air, air, sort of era specific. Like, do you know much about that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. And, and you know what? A lot of these terms are going to be uh, what precedes it is usually what it's called because people need a new name to call something. So, night is alternative metal is not necessarily what it is today, but it kind of is because like it, it kind of walks the line of. Uh, I think I think heavy metal has to have some kind of uh, description or some kind of uh, a benchmark of what it is, right? And at the time, it's like if you look at persistence of time. Uh, going from that to this, it's like way different. So it, totally. had to, it had to go in a different direction. It's almost like everything got the the band got widened. So I got all these different tones and stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, band like Deftones or uh, I guess you could say Tool or something is also considered that that moniker where it has a it's hard it's heavy music, but it, it's based in rock and it has a bunch of other sounds going on in it, like uh, people hitting uh, pots and pans or a whistle here and there or something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah <laughs> there there's a um there's a um uh a youtube channel called um punk rock mba and i highly recommend it to all listeners um this guy does great 
great work and he's very prolific and he did a video on alternative metal and I would check it out. It was really interesting. I learned a lot. Like he kind of got into even that, that has some strands, you know, to it. And so, um, but it was like, you know, Henry Rollins and, uh, I mean, Rollins band and, um, uh, even Primus, you know, Primus would, was considered alternative metal. So yeah, there's a lot of the, uh, Melvins and things like that. There was a, a lot of really interesting, music in the 90s that you know like you couldn't really put them here nor there so it was kind of like that's where they fit i guess some of the most interesting music i would say in rock because it it stretches the boundary it's not prog at all but it's it stretches the boundary of what we're used to listening to for our ears so ears can't listen to something new in metal rock right exactly so um let's see all right, singles were uh, only was the first single. Room for one more, Black Lodge, and High Pro Glow. Um, United States, they have uh, certified five hundred and eleven thousand sales, record sales, and then um, peak positions on charts. They got number thirty on Australian, uh, thirteen on uh, Canadian albums. That's pretty great. Yeah, not bad. oh seven, seven on uh, U.S. Billboard two hundred. Number seven, that's a trip. Wow. That's pretty high. Yeah, UK was 14. So like you said, there's some pretty good pretty good stuff here. So so it was, it was the shit, man. Number seven in the US. There you go. It was. It was a I hit machine. It had like four singles. They were all great and nonstop. Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was recorded in the year 1992. That's all it says on recording. It was released on May 25th, 1993. So mm. there you go. Uh, okay, so uh, all right, man. So let's get into uh, what I'd like to know is what was your gateway drug to anthrax? And if you want me to explain that question, it means like <laughs> what what bands were you listening to, or events, or or things that happened that led you up, you know, into discovering anthrax? Mm, yeah, it's a great question. Well, I mean, the uh, they were one of like first bands that I listened to. So before then, I previously I'd I was listening to Pantera, um, Far Beyond Driven, and uh, nice. I was super heavy. And then, <laughs> then when when this album came out, um, or when I when I when I heard about it, I'm I think you guys actually were were telling me about it. I was like, hey, you checked out Anthrax. I'm like, uh, yeah, I remember some some of music from the '80s. They're like, well, this is a new singer. So it was like uh, like you and your brother kind of introduced me to. Uh, to Anthrax, and from then I was like, "Wow, this is really cool!" Like I, I liked so much of what was going on, and uh, and after that, Volume Eight came out, and I, I would check that that out too. That's some good songs on as well. But basically, uh, yeah, it, it was it was right at the gate. I was listening to Anthrax. I think <laughs> that's awesome, man. Right on. Yeah, um, for me, I I was I uh, okay. So I got into him. I can't remember who like who introduced him it was most likely i don't know if it was just by like groups of bands at some point you just start to like discover because of the sound that you're into you know yeah um but a lot of it obviously you know our buddy paul wilcox um was you know huge and kind of turning me on to on to a lot of different bands but um i do remember like like i really really became a fan on this album, you know, and it was KNEC, the the local LA radio station that was playing in that playing them. And I heard when I heard only, yeah, it would just, it just, it just jumped out of the speakers. It, it, it took like zero time. 
it was like an immediate like love at first sight kind of thing you know what i'm saying like <laughs> just i was just like oh my god i love this band like right now you know and then every yeah. single after it i remember because it was like two or, you know like back in the day first of all we were little and didn't have any money but so it was like a big investment to buy an album you know plus their cds were like 15 dollars or whatever and um so it was like so it was like i heard it and then i heard it and i already loved them but then it was like i heard the next single which yeah. what i remember it being room for one more at least cool. KNC playing that and i was like oh shit i love this song and then and then maybe i i can't remember if the third one that i heard i think it i think it was black lodge Mm-hmm. But I also remember them playing um, "Packaged Rebellion", Packaged Rebellion. On, the, on the radio a lot, even though yeah. that, that wasn't like apparently, according to Wikipedia, that wasn't an official um, single. But I I remember them playing that for sure um, a lot. Anyway, I, I don't remember at what point whether it was the third or fourth single, but that's when I bought the album. I was just like, oh my god, every song is incredible, and I was gonna get it anyway. It was just more of a matter of like like hunk, you know plunking down the. <laughs> The fifteen dollars, you know, to yeah, <laughs> going to the record store and doing it right, but yep. um, but yeah, but that was huge. But I did, you know, I I did. I think I even had, I think I even had a Attack of the Killer B. Was it Killer A's or Killer Killer B's? Right, uh, B's came first. Yeah, the A's was later. The, the A's was later. So it was like the Attack of the. It was like the B sides. Yeah, that's pretty and cool the, title. Yeah, it was a cool <laughs> album, man. And um, yeah, I think I had that first, and at some point I had the like the live album with the the Joey Belladonna um years which i believe was um recorded at Irvine Meadows and that was wow. like ni- 91 92 era with when they were on tour with Public Enemy oh so, yeah yeah so i had that too but i don't remember if i had that before or after sound of white noise but i definitely had killer uh, bees and so you know i like i dug the band i was into them but this was like next level shit you know and for me this was on the mark for like what I really loved, you know, cause of course, like at the time I would say like Metallica was probably my favorite band in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it was like, you know, it was like, it was kind of on the money. So, um, anyway, that was kind of how I, um, got on, got in, into them. That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, back then to when you're 15 or something to buy an album is a big deal. So you, you gotta make sure it's the one you love and then you wear it out, you know, you wear out the Hell tape yeah. or the album. I was used to wear out my tapes. Then I have to buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. I know, right? I know. Um, I was I was already at this point I had just like gone balls deep on CDs. So it was like I was late <laughs> I was late to the game. I was late to the game with everything, but um but at this point I was I was full swing, so <laughs> cool. Anyway, all right. Um okay, so um um where does this rank among the top anthrax albums for you i mean you know i i it's number one i gotta say because i mean it's it's just my favorite anthrax style and then it's the best representation of that style i think so it's right in the middle of their career i think so it's the album i've listened to the most and just happens to be the my favorite one from anthrax and like like why why like comparing it to the rest of their catalog why would you say this is the one I think, you know, I mean, the biggest thing everybody will talk about is John Bush's influence on, on the band because, of course, vocalists is a huge part of this band. You know, I mean, you could listen to Anthrax and instrumental, still be cool, but the words and the vocals, they play a big deal, especially how they work with the music. Um, 
I like John Bush's rhythm. I like his uh, his tone. I like how he's he's kind of like the lower part of the piano versus Joe Bonanno being the t- top part. Joe Bonanno's like he's kind of almost like a shred guitar, you know. He, he can uh, <laughs> yeah he can sing real fast and real real high and everything. He's awesome. But I think um, you know even though they had some uh, mid tempo songs before, you know like like Among the Living or whatever. Um, I think that uh, a, a lot of the mid tempos in this of, of this album works really well with his voice, and I mean I like how they retain like their humor. They retain a lot of their, uh, their well definitely the chops right, but they kind of maybe with his influence they kind of spread out you know a little bit more. I mean he was coming off the heels of uh, Armored Saint, which is it is it is old school thrash, and I think everybody was looking for something new here. And uh, that's why I think it just stands out a lot more. Um, I like the old albums too, but um, the style of this is just much more like, I don't know, it just hits you harder, I think, you know, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. I, I agree. I mean, it was just like like weighty and everything. Like you mentioned earlier about the production too, that was a big thing. But John Bush's voice was just... And I, I kind of almost have to disagree a little bit. Like I, I kind of feel like they went away from the humor thing. Like I felt like this this album, um, is just so dark and so yeah. you know like it is kind of moody and dramatic and um and heavy, um that they almost like it was a huge shift, uh for them. But but I suppose maybe like with um what's that one that um they have that one song it's i wouldn't say it's like funny or humorous but it's like more punk rock like um the shoot it's like the one with all the um elements you know but um oh is it uh but yeah um is it i always forget too i would say i want to say potassium but uh it's it's just it looks like a chemistry map or something Yeah. yeah Yeah, but but they they say and it's funny that's the name of the song is like C eleven H seventeen N two O two S N A, which yeah. are elements. But the um, I can't think of the it's in the in the lyrics. I just can't think of what it's. Get back to that later. Um, but that one, I mean that that one brings maybe bursts too. There's like, but it's really like a pretty intense, you know, heavy record. Um, real dark. But anyway, um, yeah, man, it, it was just like, it just jumped out of the speakers. John Bush's voice was very like, at that time, I mean, I would say even till, till now, he was like a very like modern singer. I think it, the, like you kind of alluded to this, it brought them like into the 90s where, you know, Joey Belladonna was very 80s sounding, you know, and that was yeah. cool. He almost like always rem- like reminded me or, or like re- a little bit of like um, the Journey guy, what's his name? the singer of journey yeah yeah yep 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 he was in the same vein he's just like uh he's just like his tougher friend you know so he's got the the leather on with the spikes where the journey guy has like uh you know his little outfit or whatever but um <laughs> but yeah belladonna you just can't you can't you can't hate him because he's like uh he's got he's got the chops too you know he's got his own instrument but for sure he got the chops awesome joey belladonna is a great frontman. He's a great like he commands the crowd. He has no fear. Like I love that about him. He's like a great showman. Um I I do think maybe he 
this is just my opinion. I know Anthrax fans are going to crucify me for this, like the hardcore <laughs> old school guys. But and I have friends, you know, that are that are in that that crowd. But um, but just I feel like he was like in the wrong genre. Like and and Scott Ian has talked about that. Like they kind of had to mold him. It was like a constant. Mm. Like every record they mold him. And, mm. and I think to some extent they got him there especially now you know like he kind of gets it more you know the aggression and stuff like that but but it was like a constant molding where he probably would would have been like fit like right at home in like a journey style kind of rock you know pop poppy rock band you know which is hey i love journey i'm not knocking journey i love journey i just i'm just saying like the the thrash scene was like was like a different animal and you know maybe he was in the wrong in the wrong band yeah that's something to say that's my hot take for the the episode well i think um (laughs) you know what's i i find that i find it super interesting though because um when you do when you do something like that in life or music it it creates sometimes it creates genius you know it creates like a diamond out of coal and uh we wouldn't have had this uh even record to talk about if 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 that experience didn't happen so i think i think that's super interesting that that's the case and you know i think we i think there's a lot of cases like that in music and in art probably where that is the case but we, we don't see it right away until we look deeper we kind of say oh maybe this is the way it is you know yeah so, totally super interesting <laughs> totally um so I, i'm gonna take it you're a bush guy yeah, I'm a Bush man all the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I like Bush's lyrics. I, I, I like, uh, I mean, when he, when he sings, it sounds like he's he's uh, he's trying to push you into fighting him. You know, like he's, he's yeah. ready to fight you. So he's he's super like in your face, kind of like, uh, yeah, like Rollins a little bit, you know. And then. Um, but a much, much better singer. <laughs> much better singer yeah that's the thing about respect to henry rollins i love henry rollins rollins is all about the word and expression and uh i mean he obviously he obviously is very good expressing himself in many different ways so yeah yeah that's but But the power i think the similarity is in the in the power the power like the super uh you know like rollins was like super intimidating black flag and stuff he's all buffed out in your face with with that look on his face look he looks like the the not man you know the amphrax little toy that they had little face (laughs) (laughs) not yeah Um, but uh but bush is um i like bush a lot man i think he's one of my favorite from him because he's got he's got the melodies he's got the speed i I like i like his range of his voice because it does it gets pretty high like when he does some of those um, back when they were touring with this album they did some of the old songs of course right how can you not and he kept up on that and uh uh yeah i mean everything he's done after that just uh I really like it. It also got me into Armored Saint as well, you know. So with Belladon, I like I like his stuff too, uh, but it just doesn't. Um, the character doesn't approach me like it does uh, the John Bush the John Bush songs. Yeah, I mean he. I don't know. He's one of my favorite of all time. Uh, so I can't say enough things about him. But um, you know, obviously Metallica notoriously tried to hire him at two different points as mm-hmm. far as. I know um, for Kill 'Em All, like I guess they wanted him to sing on Kill 'Em All, and yeah. then and then also on Ride the Lightning. So like two different times uh, on wow. Ride the Lightning too. Like before they recorded both of those records, they were like, "Hey, you want to be in our band?" And he was like, "Nah, I'm good. I, I got my Armored Saint band." But they, you know, they played a lot of shows locally in L.A. 
uh, before Metallica went up, you know, north uh, to uh, San Francisco. And so, right. like, you know, they knew him from playing locally. And I guess Armored Saint was like, in, at that time, they were like the much cooler band. Like, they had all the girls at the shows and like, <laughs> they had like, you know, the draw, like a real draw. And they had and all, they, you know, they had all the, um, the best looking nuns at the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Armored Saint. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, but, you know, they, um, but, you know, but, you know, they, they, in, it's kind of interesting how in that world, they, Metallica and Anthrax, who had their own singers at the time, kind of saw that they, they both saw that in John Bush that he was like, you know, he was the dude. (laughs) Yeah. Just presence. The presence is so important as a singer, as you know, and, uh, it holds it like the drummer and the singer like hold the glue you know and like um it's just super important to have a good good drummer and singer for for a metal band rock band it's like pretty necessary and I know, like james Hetfield, yeah he, so it's like oh I'll play, I'm, I'm a guitarist you know but i'll, I'll sing and then you know he fought, eventually became what he became but um yeah but john bush is probably the man back then he probably had the most experience of many people yeah um, this is the last thing on on John Bush because I want to get to other areas, and of course you're a guitar player, so we, we want to definitely get into um, Scotty in and Spitz and and those kind of things, yep. Frankie Bello. But um, um, what? Okay, talk about John Bush's influence on metal singers to come, like from from the point of this album. Like, do you see sort of like an influence he had on you know broadly speaking, or even directly on on kind of singers that would come after him in the metal world i mean he's he's definitely like uh in the metal world for sure like you know i mean if he didn't directly influence a bunch of the singers in 2000s late 90s then he was a big uh a big uh, part of the collection of other singers that did because he was um i think it was just such an impact you know with with what anthrax did on this album it's just like you get pumped up it's almost like uh uh coffee music you know like i know scotty likes likes coffee and stuff wrote a song about it so it's this song's kind of like ca- uh this band's kind of like caffeine this album's like caffeine you know you uh basically listen to it you kind of get pumped up but so i think a lot of a lot of um his influence is, sh- is showing people what uh showing other uh, singers what's possible and also just um it's hard to say because there's a lot of other singers at the time that were doing like this alternative thing like it's a totally different style but like faith no more you know they, they blend a lot of stuff like anthrax did with hip-hop and stuff like that like an epic you know with the hip-hop beat uh right right there's just a bunch of alternative guys that were doing their thing at this point so i think that it was just too much influence at one time i know john bush did have an influence but so so did a lot of others at the same time so it was like a big wave of singers and musicians in general that were pushing things forward in different ways yeah i think i I read somewhere that um, Allison Chains were big fans of Armored Saint, which, um, you know, it's funny because, like, I I would have never thought this before that, but before I read that, but you can, like, totally hear it. Like, and the vocal delivery is actually a lot more similar than I realized with Lane, you know? Um, so I think that was, a, like, a direct influence. And then, you know, I know... Corey too. Corey Taylor has talked about you know Anthrax and John Bush being a an influence on him, and I and I totally hear it there too. Um, so it's interesting. I, it, it's kind of funny that 
you know, because of like the status of like metal where it went right after this, it kind of like went down the toilet for a bit in the middle nineties. And then, you know, the new metal emerged in the late nineties Yeah, and it, and it wasn't even cool in the, in the late nineties to kind of recognize the, the prior metal bands that, you know, were influences. Um, right. So in a way I feel like some of the love for, and then, you know, like John Bush kind of, uh, you know, eventually Anthrax ended up getting their old singer back with Belladonna and wanted to go the more like kind of classic thrash route. And, um, it's almost like he got shuffled away kind of like, a just, you know, in, in the later generations, you didn't really like, you know, they might not even know who he is. And, um, but what I'm seeing now is through podcasts and other mediums and YouTube, um, there's a little more like John Bush love is coming to the surface that I keep hearing. And, and I love it. I'm really glad that, you know, I think on our generation, he left his mark and, and people are starting to like come out of the woodworks and, and talk about it. Cause dude, he was like, he's just one of those guys to me that really, uh, is underrated and not, not given the praise that he deserves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I need a lot of people that listen to, uh, white noise, uh, stop, back in like middle school and high school like it, it was pretty big and i still know people that that play it you know aside from our group of friends uh from that time people that uh that still have have that stuff but yeah a lot of uh a lot of it is it they definitely weren't mainstream they stay that way so it is kind of like a like a hidden uh treasure is this era of amphrax uh that that's really cool and then you know eventually like um because they took a break and they went back, they played like one show with John, I think. And then I think for some Japanese relief thing. And then, uh, they went back with Belladonna. Now, you know, the big thing in the 2000s, 2010s was like the bands from the eighties and nineties are back. And then like, you know, I mean, bands never left yeah. like Iron Maiden, of course, like they never really left, but that right. old eighties thing is like back in a big way now. Brash. Yeah. 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 Big time. So it's kind of like, it, yeah, it's true, but uh, you know, I think there's still a lot of like the thing about Anthrax fans, they're so hardcore, uh, and even the Armored Saint fans, they kind of spread into into each other's audiences. So there's still a lot of hardcore people out there. It's just not, it's just not like um, the John Butcher's is well known. You know, when, right. when people say Anthrax, they don't think about some people do think about like only and uh, you know, Room for One More and Black Lodge and all that, but a lot of it's going to be the '80s stuff pretty much right totally yeah so i mean good for them for surviving um and you know i've Big seen time. i've seen him a, a few times at least um since belladonna's been back and you know it's a great show man i always you know enjoy it so but um my heart definitely is with um with john bush and in terms of like choosing which singer i'd rather listen to <laughs> on a, on a... for sure you were saying um, people were doing um, different things, right? And I think one of the things that was different was was thrash bands like writing great songs. Like I think that was kind of new. And d I love thrash, so don't don't get it twisted. But the it was its appeal was there were great songs, there were catchy stuff even early on. I mean, I think some of the catchiest Metallica stuff is on freaking kill them all. I think they, there's some really yeah. catchy, just like in punk rock, right? Where right, exactly. there's a lot of really catchy shit in punk rock, you know, yeah. and there wasn't thrash, but I don't know that it's main goal was to write great songs. You know what I mean? I think it's main goal was to destroy the, 
you know, like to just destroy period and to right. like, to, uh, <laughs> right. Um, but, um, you know, at this point, like in the like late eighties, early nineties, you know, all those bands started like going, Hey, you know, like let's write some great songs. And so I think one of the new things was, you know, obviously the black album was a huge success and they wrote incredible songs on that. But I think this album was like, to me, it was like maybe even better in Tom's in terms of just songwriting um, than the black album. But it, it, um, I think it was like this showed and I think this was your point. You said they, sh- they were showing, you know, the world, what was possible. And this kind of showed, yeah, like, th- you know, the metal world, like, Hey, you can write like a really heavy, this is to me like a heavier record than mm. the black album too. It's like, it's still really heavy yeah. and ballsy. This was more of like, you still had that like thrash yeah. element. And, but, but it was like the first time where it was thrashy, but the, there's like, they're great songs, yeah. you know, that, at least that's my, that's my opinion. Like, um, and again, I'm probably, I'll probably get, you know, fucking killed for that, but <laughs> <laughs> anthrax was kind of funny and goofy even before this. And this was like, this was like a different tone. It had a whole different vibe. Right? Yeah. That's always the best. I mean, like, uh, when we, when bands start out, you love like the, the rawness and just like the, uh, ability for the music not to, uh, be part of anything else in the world kind of thing you know it's just its own thing it's like very pure but there is something beautiful about um when a band retains their sound but then now they have you know for lack of a better word that like pop sensibility that comes in and how exactly, many fresh yeah. songs like stick in your head where you don't need a radio to listen to them you know like a lot of the al- a lot of stuff on this album it sticks in your head you don't really need a radio I, at least i don't like i just i remember this music so it kind of sticks in your head and just uh, remember it. You might have held along to it in the car or something. Uh, but basically, that's like the the other apex of a band's career that's awesome is when they got all the charm of what they are, the pure essence, but now they've matured the songwriting and they got all these elements that work really tight with each other, you know? like a- Exactly. I, I agree 100%. And, and I feel like this is this was the first time they did that you know and it was big for sure absolutely uh so talk about let's talk about guitar real quick i want to hear about like scotty and just just talk to me about um you know his tone and just his presence on this album it's yeah i mean his his uh there's a lot of tones to talk about really you know like um there's just a lot of variety of of sound um yeah i think that what i like about this album is that there's there's like a left and right speaker intelligence too, like a stereo intelligence. So, I mean, you heard a lot like in lots of metal bands. I think metal is like one of the genres that really um, invested a lot of effort into this, making things like it, it's almost like you're at the this you're at the uh, live show because you can hear like one guitar on the left can like dance with this guitar, and then like over here there's Ian's guitar on the right, and it's kind of like you can hear different tones too, and they kind of like. You know, you get like a 3D effect out of it. It's really cool. And, uh, you know, like uh, yeah. songs like, um, gosh, I think it's Room for One More. Uh, they got like these big quarter note guitars, like, but then you hear like this really fast, like in the background. And 
It creates right. this big like da da, and then you hear like da 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 da. You know, so you hear like that rhythm going on, and it's like the way they layer these 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 rhythms and tones. It's like super cool. It's like like a it just makes the song sound like 3D. So it's yeah, it's about Ian, it's about Spitz, but it's also like uh, like Belladonna. Like I really like his tone because well, I'm a bass player now, but I, I like his tone because it has like the like like old school like uh oh uh, uh Bello. Oh, I'm sorry <laughs> Frank Bello. <laughs> yeah, they had to have a guy in the band named Bello and a guy in the band named Belladonna. Come on, what were you guys thinking? Yeah, I guess well, it's I don't know, basically the Italian thing or something. But I, I know Belladonna's got. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if he has roots in Native American, because he. Uh, I I guess, heard he so does. It might be yeah. like a mix, like a like a mutt, but uh, which is cool, you know. We have two different cultures. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But basically, for sure, for sure. Well, and then the, you know, Scottian's Jewish, so you had like really three, at, at least three. I'm sure there's other things, but yeah, they they had a quite diverse. At least band. three, and because you know, group of queens, they got like um, with the bring the noise, you know. They had the hip hop at oh, yeah, Terminator yeah, X yeah. and all that. Um, it's pretty cool that, yeah, they're just open minded, you know. Well, New York, yeah. man, you know, it's what a great place for music because you you're bringing in all those different cultural influences. Yeah, coming right? off the seventies, uh, uh, punk and hip hop were like mainstay, you know, big time, and then they, they emerged eventually. It's pretty cool. Exactly. That's yeah. what we hear in this album. Yeah. It beats Aerosmith any day that merged. So. Um, but basically uh yeah with the bass it's like the the bass is there right it's it's pounding it's heavy but it also has like this mid-range um kind of frequency that cuts through and it sounds like metallic a little bit and it has like that old school like like thrash bass sound you know where it cuts through the mix yeah that top end top end i love yeah i love that i love like what you can do with a four string bass especially you know like it's so versatile and then uh, with Charlie yeah. Benante, because he plays um, plays so much double bass uh, kick, and then he's got his toms playing, like he kind of adds that warmth to the bottom end. So that rim section is really cool because it, it, it if you if you just listen yes. to them alone, they have a like a wide frequency range, just the bass and the drummer alone. Totally, and dude, I mean, I gotta say, like, I fucking love the bass tone on yeah. this album, man. It's it's kind of all time, especially for like you said, for you know, thrash did kind of have a, a sound, but like I want to say, like I feel because even going back, I was doing a little bit of a dive on uh, spacing on this, um, living, among yeah. the living, even on that album, like he had a great bass tone, and I was like, but but I think it, they really, I don't know if it was just production things, or obviously over time, you're gonna like work on your tone a little bit and. But man, it just sounds gigantic on this, and um, it just has a better frequency balance than I I feel like. Like even the Black album, right, with um, yeah. Jason Newstead, I think this is a better bass tone. I'm gonna say like like I, like a lot better. Not not a lot. I mean the the bass sounds great on mm-hmm. the Black album, but he had like a cleaner kind of tone. This has like a, a more of a growl. There's almost like a I, I would guess he might have some distortion on it. I'm not sure. Yep. But it has like a more of a growl, and the bottom end, man, is just gigantic. You know, um, yeah. There, there was definitely like I feel like this. I, I mean, there were tons of albums at this time. Like that, this early '90s period was really big for heavy music in terms of like kind of 
turning the page, turning the corner on, on something new. Right. That was about to like blow right. up. Um, so like, but I really feel like there's things about their tone and their sound on this that probably really influenced bands. Like I would, you know, machine head and things like that, that would come in the mid nineties, you know, as even corn, you know, that like just a year later put out their debut albums in 94, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny to think about that, but that was like kind of like the start of new metal was one year after this album came out, you know, and you can kind of hear the thread. And, and even of course, you know, when you, you know, other bands like helmet and, you know, going back oh, to the alternative metal thing, how that was big a time. huge influence, yeah. right. On big time. Yeah, exactly. And faith no more is right. right. Yeah. Helmet was a huge, I think that's another band talking about underrated and, band that man made a huge mark on just music like and a lot of people don't even know who they are um, they were just huge at influencing what would become new metal and they might not want that that label or moniker but like that they were really really big in that another new york band you know that um had a really just kind of different kind of culture about them you know and brand yeah with, with anthrax i just see um you know just get it done obviously super hard working with their albums i mean the the technicality of this album is like so tight you know that everything just sounds perfect and uh yeah i think like uh more than anything i think that they're just really they have a lot of intelligence when it comes to entertaining people live like they just put on a show that's so fun and uh you just you know everybody's entertained it's it's like it's not boring you know <laughs> Oh, not at all. Yeah. I want to get into, I'm going to get into that too. I have some specific questions about their live show, but, um, um, back to really quick with the guitar though. Um, let's talk about, okay. You mentioned the, the kind of, uh, stereo kind of thing. I heard, I actually heard that they, um, I think they did, he did a third track, like a, um, and I think Hetfield was known for doing this too, where you do like a left, right rhythm and then one up the Mm. middle. What do they call it? The thickener or something like that? Yeah, like, like double that, tracking or thickening. I think, yeah, but like, but like they would do left, right. So two, two rhythms, right? One and left, one and right. And then a third one. And, and like Scotty, and I'm pretty sure I, I think he did all the rhythms just like Hetfield famously mm. did with Metallica, you know, and the, on the thrash records where, you know, they just didn't let the other guy <laughs> like fuck yeah. up their shit, which, you know, I mean, if you're like, I mean, arguably they're one and two in terms of like right hand and, and rhythm guitar players from thrash and heavy metal. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like that might be it right there is James Hetfield and Scotty. And so why are, yeah. Why are you going to let your lead guitar player who may be a killer lead player, but maybe not the best rhythm guitar player ever. <laughs> why are you going to let him fuck your shit up or fuck your album up? You know? You should just do all of the rhythms. <laughs> yeah, just technically speaking, it's it, it's tough. It's tough enough to get your rhythms down. Like when you, when you play this fast, and like some of the rhythms on this on this right, album are pretty right. intricate as far as these little changes that you hear, and you know that they're, they're, they're you can hum along to them. But when you actually look at what Scotty is playing, it's it's not that easy to do uh, with the right hand. Like not many guys have that right. down pick right hand down, so to speak, and. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of tough. So technically speaking, it's like, yeah, you know, you know, if Hammond's gonna double track his lead, you know, uh, James Hetfield's not gonna do it for him just because he's out sick. It's like it's pretty personal. It's pr- it has to be kind of like perfect, you know. So 
the right hand exactly. of thrash is 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 rare <laughs> yeah so so speaking of this is a uh, the song burst on this album and like yeah like you're playing that and you know left and right and then apparently one up the middle right and all three have to be like locked yeah. in right like totally locked in like listen how razor tight that is and it's like there's that bass beautiful bass tone too but uh you know like and back in those days like listen to how tight that is sick but um you know and um back in those days too like you could you could do i don't want to say cheating but you could um edit right but it was way more difficult using two inch tape to kind of cut and you know and i'm sure they did i mean they they all did that stuff and you know but it was more labor intensive you know so like you you just gotta like be as efficient as you could be back then, and I mean, I I I argue that that's still the case, even with all the tools we have. You know, there's still like, if you have any sort of like, I mean, honestly, if you're just playing a metal record, you know, and you want it to sound real, like it, you're you're gonna have to put some work in, and, and it's yeah. gonna have to like, yeah. you know, what I'm saying, and you're gonna have to get good takes. Like you're still like that game still exists. You you got to get really good takes, you know. But you could cheat. It's just honestly. I mean, everybody cheats a little bit, but like you could cheat a lot, and and honestly, your record's just not going to sound no. as good, and it's going to sound, you know, just kind of generic and cut and pasted, and just, um, but like, you know, so I'm sorry, I'm That's going on cool. this tangent, but the po- the point <laughs> the point is that you know, like, um, in those days, you know, there was much more of an aversion to to doing editing, and so you you just gotta like you you. Uh, to me, I'm trying to explain why that you would go with just the one guy, you know, who's the kick-ass guy who's done all the work, who's gonna yeah. like just nail it quicker. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, well, you said a lot there, but pretty much, um, uh, you know, I, it, in the music that I write and and explore, I uh, uh, some of my elements are are metal, you know, that not as much as 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 well back. Hello. I do have uh sorry I got cut out there for a little bit. <laughs> I do have um whenever I approach metal, I approach it seriously cuz the bar is high and metal is a very demanding uh music form. It's one of the most demanding that I've ever witnessed. So to do it right, you have to uh almost have to like build up your strength in your right hand and have all your chops down and of course like concentration of speed. When it's fast, it has to be on. And playing fast is harder than playing slow sometimes, you know, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that when you're dealing with this kind of specialty, it's like these guys are building a hot rod or or a race car. Like every guy that's changing his own tire, right? Uh, just because I can change your tire doesn't mean I should. You know, like with – I think in, in the in our current age, we have like multi-instrumentalists, instrumentalists, which I'm one, you know, play a few different right. things. But um, I try to specialize and I'm, I, I can – I can write vocals and, and write lyrics, but I do it to give to my my partner that is better at it than I am and that does it more than I do. So it's like we have to kind of like – it's cool though 
because people can bring ideas to each other in a band. But yeah, if you need that room, the guitar to sound like that, then you give it to Ian, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. So anyway, just kick ass. And one of the things I learned last night by, you know, flipping through YouTube and checking out some old footage was he said, um, he mentioned that, uh, you know, the, uh, the guitar sounded the loudest they ever had. Um, on this album compared to their older albums like he said that so i was like oh that's interesting um but it does it's it's got a i mean it's just a it's a killer production but there is like the guitar it's just in your face and it's it's a really heavy sounding record i we'll, we'll get into a little more of the productions in a bit but um tell me about the uh the song titles we were talking about that i i don't know much about it you 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 had something you wanted to share about that oh yeah i mean honestly uh you know, just like uh, Potter's Field, I, I you know, because I was listening to that song. Well, first of all, I like how I like how the intro kind of works its way up to the tempo of the song. Like it, it just kind of gets your heart. It, I don't know, they're pretty smart. They like get your heart beating at a certain rate, and then it goes into the Potter's Field tempo, so you're like ready for it. You know, right, I, right. I think I that's love that really intro. cool, and uh, it sounds like war. You know. Um, Right, and right. With with uh, what what a part of field is, is actually filtered uh, through like a ministry, <laughs> through a ministry like industrial kind of war filtered through ministry. Um, what's his name's eyes? Al Jorgensen. <laughs> Al Jorgensen. Yeah, it has a very industrial sound. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and pretty much like part of field is uh, it's kind of like a makeshift graveyard. Uh, like like you know, it's it's like a whole like imagine um. Well, actually, what we're going, I don't want to blame everybody out, but with the pandemic we had 100 years ago, it's like uh, they didn't have uh, time or space to uh, put proper graveyards in place. So they just put everybody in these uh, potter's fields and they just filled it with dirt, you know? So oh, okay. All across America, um, it affected everybody at that time. It's kind of crazy. So, oh, so that's what that song's about. That's, that, that's the little meaning of it. But then I have a theory about it. Was it was like the Spanish flu. Is that, is that what? Well, I, I I think it's I think it's pretty personal. I, I I don't know if it's about like Ian or or uh, or John Bush, but there's there's a very there's a very critical line in there that mm -hmm. talks about like a mother, and what I think this is, I'm not sure. Oh, thank you, mother, for giving me this life. Yeah, giving me this life. Yeah. So basically, like <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I think what it is is, is it might be. Like imagine like a like a a young lady has a has a baby, but she's not really uh, set up for it financially or or even mentally, and all the difficulty that like a son has to go through in his life because of that situation. Um, mm. And you know, there's parts of there that say like uh, love and all this stuff, and then even the main protagonist character has ideas of should I even been born? You know, because my life's difficult. Um, Something like that. I mean, there's probably other meanings to it that's personal to the guys, but that's what I kind of start seeing as I listen to it more, like that kind of mentality. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Any was that the only song title that, or was there? A, uh, you know, then like, uh, I mean, a thousand points of hate. That's obviously like. A, I mean, that's nothing to do with. Well, maybe it does. I I think. That's like a personal, you know, like aggression that Bush has with who, who knows who. You know? <laughs> but but he's talking about that. But thousand points of hate is like the yeah. uh, counterpoint or or a, to a thousand points of light, which is like uh, 
George Poppy Bush's uh, big statement, you know, when he was in office and all that. So I think it maybe. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he goes a thousand points of light. And then like it was like a big political term. And then Neil Young used it in his uh, in his song, uh, Keep on Rocking the Free World. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, so that was like, uh, you know. Kind of like a, uh, I, I think, I think what what uh, Bush is talking about a lot. Well, it's funny because his name's Bush too, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he's definitely an anti-hypocrite. He's very much about being real, which is a big, a big theme of this album. It's about being real, and right uh, doing it that way. A lot of songs have that that sentiment in them. Like, pa- yeah, like packaged rebellion for sure. Um, they, they yeah. you know, basically. Package Rebellion was like about, you know, kids going to malls and buying like, you know, their punk rock get up or like, or, or whatever, you know, whatever oh. the thing is, and, you know, instead of just like, you know, they they were like rebelling against the idea that you could just kind of buy whatever personality and not just like, you know, kind of find your way through to your personality, you know? Yeah. And just like, yeah, like you said, just being yourself and just, um, What's the line in there? Like, I don't want to know your influence. Yeah, that's that's um pretty intelligent, like the wording on it. And uh it's you know, it's I love the title. Yeah, here you go. I don't want to know your influence. I just need to be myself. Doesn't show. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, like you said, keeping it real. Like, doesn't show what I'm trying to be. Just shows who I am. Yeah, like he, you know, I've been here for a while doing my thing, and a bunch of posers are coming up and uh, trying to look like me, or you know, steal my cred, or you know, that right. thing, and and. Uh, yeah, that was a big thing, especially in, like in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Like we had like Hot Topic, and uh, everybody was trying to go for their look, you know. Where before, it, right? I think in like punk rock days, uh, it, it was like almost the same look, but there was a different reason for it, or there was well, and people would like make literally make their own T shirts, you know? Yeah, with patches, especially and stuff. in punk rock. Yeah, and then that that went into like thrash because thrash was like a, a mix of uh, like met, you know new wave heavy metal and uh, and punk like. Metallica kids with their patches and stuff like that, and yeah, that was yeah. that was prime Bat- time. Right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was too young for the first wave of battle vests, and too old for the second wave. <laughs> <laughs> I missed, I missed the battle vest movement, but I love it though. I think it's awesome, man. Yeah. Um. Anyway, all right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, good call on that, man. All right. <clears throat> all right, what was, uh, what album tour did you see them on for the first time? Well, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm, I'm a huge poser. I, uh, <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. because uh, I, I, I tried to see them many times. Um, gosh, you know, they even played, like, Irvine, uh, Irvine Meadows, and they played one time with Fire Maiden there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 was could, there. I, I tried to make it. I couldn't make it. I had to work. My, my schedule was all messed up. And uh, I had a lot of responsibility, basically, with like IT and stuff like that. 
So I, I tried I tried then. I, I got on too late to see him with Belladonna the first wave. And then the 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 one and only time I've seen them <laughs> has been with the big four. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. The only time I saw them, but I gotta say that was probably my favorite band of the whole night. Oh, nice, man. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, the only time I've yeah, seen them. Yeah, they were on first. They were on first, and they put on a, a real good show. Like, it was, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. I loved it. And then Megadeth, uh, Partial Megadeth 2, and that, they played an awesome show, too. But with Bush, uh, I saw him with Armored Saint, the, uh, what used to be called? The, yeah, the what Galaxy. year was that? Two, two, 2010, was it? 2011? One of those, right? Uh, At the... Um... They came back around, but the first time I saw them was way back. It was like two thousand and uh, gosh, like two or three. It, it was it was a long time ago. No, I mean uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the big four, the big four. Oh, show. big four was like April two thousand eleven. Okay. Yeah. And um, just for people, like it was at the I, I think they call it the Polo Grounds, but it's um in India where they do Coachella and like there's a big country festival they do there every year too. Yeah, Coachella and Stagecoach, right? Stagecoach, there you go. Yeah. And uh, so, but yeah, the the big four with Metallica. I mean, if you're listening to this, you know what the big four is. But Metallica, Slayer, Slayer, (laughs) Megadeth, and Anthrax. Um, What a show, man. Yeah, once a lifetime. Awesome. Yeah, and then... I got to say, this is another sidetrack here, but um, I thought Slayer kicked ass, too, at that show. I thought... Well, okay, it, like I agree. I thought Anthrax shredded. Like they they were first on, first up, and like you know, kind of notoriously probably the the smallest in popularity amongst those four bands. And um, it was almost like they had something to prove, and they killed it. They were super tight. And I remember like I remember hearing like like Scott Ian's guitar just coming through the PA, like especially on songs like Antisocial or and whatever. Where it just it just sounded fucking brutal you know you're just like oh it's so perfect you know it sounds so good um but then and you know megadeth was good i thought they were like you know they were megadeth so it's like they're not they're not known for like being super aggro on stage they're just known for just busting out the jams and not really talking between songs and right you know they they you know there's no frills it's just like hey here we're megadeth and we're gonna play some fucking awesome metal riffs and then and then we're gonna like leave yeah, no explanations, you know, a little bit of banter, but none of this uh, frill and frolic. like we're just here to jam, then we're out. So they're they're very reserved, uh, yeah. but they are playing some some technical stuff all the time. So, you know, it's it's pretty, it's kind of tough, you know, but yeah, they, they're definitely like a, um, yeah, I don't know, they're just different, right? Megadeth's a little bit different, so. Yeah, I mean, I love Megadeth, don't get me wrong, I freaking love them, but yeah, they just like live, they're like, they're almost like a little more subdued, you know. Yeah. But even though know, Dave, Dave, I guess it's because he has such a presence just by being there. He doesn't even have to do anything. He's just kind of like, "Oh my God, it's Dave." Mega <laughs> um, <laughs> Dave. Yeah. But then Slayer and and Tom Araya is a little bit of the same way, you know. With Slayer, like, um, he he has that same presence too. Where and and they're even bigger, and they people freak the sh- the fuck out over him and and Slayer and um that's always funny too like he'll just kind of sit there with a smirk on his face and then finally he just laughs you know while while like people are like he doesn't say a word and people are just like freaking out over him you know like it's the pope or something but um (laughs) but um but slayer killed man and like that was definitely like when they came on it was like a noticeable difference that like 
there was just more people there and more people there to see them than Megadeth. And it was just like, oh shit, like the show like really started now. Like all of a sudden there's like tens of thousands of people like engaged, you know, and the pit went mad and it was almost like, oh my God, they're, they're really giving like Metallica a run for their money. And then Metallica comes up and it was like, they're just Metallica. Like they, there's a different energy. Like they had, you know, I don't know if you remember, but like the screens were not on for the first three bands, but then they were on for them. So they have that, like that big stage, like they they have the full, like the use of the full capacity of the full stage, you know, the other bands and it was dark and all that. So they're just granted some like theatrical things that the other bands weren't. But also James is like very gregarious and very like, chummy with the crowd and that was a different thing than like you know slayer and and megadeth before them you know what i mean like he has like a different energy and presence with the audience he definitely does yeah he's he's very he's just an entertaining guy you know to uh listen to and stuff so um it's it's definitely more connected i think like james Hadfield just commands a crowd i think he's very totally good at that man. uh amphrax is uh <laughs> but the, the amphrax has a connection with the crowd too where they're definitely there to make you go nuts or make you into it, you know? So yeah, man, they, they never let down. I mean, they're always like just always on it with the live show big time. It reminds me a lot of uh Pantera, like the Abel yeah. brothers and how they're all just always into it, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Um, a lot, a lot of that, that energy in there too, that same energy. For sure. And like Joey, you know, he's fearless. He And that's what makes him a great front man. He just like, no matter how goofy he might look at, at some point, like the goofiness just goes away. It like fades into the background because he's so aggressive at like getting the crowd to respond, you know, like he won't take no for an answer, you know? Yeah. And they, they always do at some point, you know, it might take that like Scotty into, you know, be over there. Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> so like, I want to see you fucking whatever moshing or whatever you know. But anyway, that was a terrible scudian. I wish I could do that. That uh, it's like you got to be loud to do his like funny, like hardcore voice that he does in between songs. I love that, like the little banter shit he does. But it's always like a call to action, you know. If if he's, it's like it's like um, it's like dad, right? If dad. <laughs> If dad has to like step in and say something, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah. So like when Scott, when Scott Ian gets up on the mic, you know, you fucked up. Like you weren't, you weren't moshing hard enough. You weren't, you weren't giving it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. He comes out when it's, when it's needed. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, otherwise he's just doing his thing and moshing and headbanging and stuff like that. So it, it's definitely, uh, for concern. Yeah. It's kind of funny. So, so, okay. So that was the only time you saw them then. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. I, yeah, like I said, I tried I tried a few times, but um, just things got in the way of that. But I mean, over the years, I've kind of just checked out like their 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 live videos and stuff like that. They came out with a few uh, like live DVDs and stuff that was pretty cool. Um, I think one came out to Volume Eight, I believe. I believe, yeah, like the the live tour. Uh, they had the mm-hmm. one in the eighties, um, and uh, you know that's pretty much it. I mean. Yeah, they tour worldwide, but just like getting into California, it's kind of tough for me to make those dates. So when I finally saw him, like, oh, well, I didn't see him John Bush, but I did see John Bush Farmer's Saint, though. Uh, okay, yeah. I was going to ask you that. That's when, when was that? I I don't have the tickets, but I think it was in O two or three, and that's the one at the Galaxy. That's where uh, our good friend, our good friend Pedro, 
my cousin, he uh, he fell asleep because he was tired from work. He fell asleep at the show on the table. Oh, shit. There's was, there was heavy metal going on. He fell asleep. <laughs> that's hot, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Um, I'm I'm sure I was at that show. I, I saw them at least one time there, maybe twice. But Yeah. All right. So, let's see. We kind of did this some of this but uh what are did you have any other um highlights from the album oh man it's a lot dude like uh i think the- well let me start let me start <laughs> with this question so, sorry but let me i know yeah this this might like like focus us a little um if you're if you're an anthrax right if you're the second guitar player you're like the the dan spitz replacement what one or two songs from this album is in the set list every night after the album comes out for the rest of your career i'm gonna say i mean obviously only is a big a big hit everybody goes everybody goes wild they like that song it's very cool yep. and, and i not sure on this one but every show that i've seen them on like as far as like their video stuff like uh black lodge is on there um mm. uh, really that might be interesting but yeah i mean they a lot of the shows i've seen they play that live um but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've ever seen them play that. I mean, I, I'm sure I have. I don't think they do it a lot. I don't know, though. I could be wrong, too. It's a little bit quieter. So it's like, uh, and plus there's a lot of stuff missing. Like, you know, for the recording, they got somebody to play the uh, tremolo guitar, like the little guitar. So yeah. It's kind of tough to, to pull it out live. But I what mean, is that? Is that, a, um, is that an Ebo? Or am I tripping? I'm I'm not a guitar player, so forgive me if I'm way off here. But I think it's like one of those like uses... yeah the the Ebo it's like a sustained effect, so it sounds like a violin. You can bend the notes and stuff like that. Like you know, if you ever listen to okay. uh, with or without you, you too. Like the guitarist has that sound. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, um, but okay. I I think in this case it's one of those like old school like uh, um uh like blues like you know like those little whammy bars or vibrato. Where, yeah. where, it, where it kind of releases the strings so the strings go down a pitch and they go up again um huh so it's called vibrato bar but the effect for guitars that creates that kind of sound too is called tremolo pedal so okay it's like a misnomer there i'm sure your brother knows about that but um yeah but that that kind of that kind of like it's kind of cool because it gives it almost like a soundtrack kind of sound you know on that song yeah like I don't know if I have any base for thinking this, but I remember the first time I heard it, for some reason it made me think of like like 50s and 60s music, like, you know, like um, like oldies, you know, or what was considered oldies at that time, you know. Um, it's got that old <laughs> vibe to it. Um, it's definitely uh, an oddball on the album. It doesn't really fit anywhere else, which makes it kind of like stand out a little special. Um and I mean, they had like that Ball of Confusion song, which is an old song, right? What they did with the B-sides, I think. So. Yeah, I think that might have been a B-side, B-side, but we don't talk about those here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't uh, acknowledge them. Yeah. Well, because like, I don't know, man, maybe this is the old school me, but like when I think of the album, I think of like the CD, you know, like I know you can like on Spotify, that's what's a little confusing sometimes when I go check out old albums on spotify like this one there's like all these extra tracks i'm like that's not the album man come on just yeah like give me a version at least that has just the original you know what i mean just the original album i I don't know why they don't do that but you know sometimes they add 
extra songs, but I feel like there should be like one that's just the straight up original album and then, then do one with your extra shit. Yeah, the uh, yeah, basically, you know, I mean, with with the those deluxe albums, I think it's best when it's got the original track listing, but the new stuff is at the bottom, you know, so it's like extra. So yeah. you still get the because there's a flow to the songs that you want. Right? Well, they do that. I mean, at least in this case, they did that. But I still like it's still annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um. All right. So yeah. So you you said so so uh, only and uh black lodge yeah black lodge but you know i mean they were they were playing like uh i mean they were playing room for one more and patrick bell in a lot too you know what i mean so yeah for sure the, yeah for sure and those are really th- those those hit really good live you know they, they were translated real, really well live um so i, I, I think that one that is the one those are probably the two that they did play the most live um and obviously with belladonna i know like they weren't doing any of them for a while. And then they brought back, like I saw them maybe the last time I saw them, which was, I don't even know, a couple of, couple few years ago. Uh, they, they were doing only, but, uh, but yeah, but, um, but yeah, but I would say like, you know, had, having seen them a lot in the Bush years and then even a little bit with Belladonna, um, definitely only in, uh, room for one more were the biggest staples in terms of live i can see that especially um given like the, the like their order in the cd you know what i mean like pretty close to each other so yeah and i mean they're just great songs i would um and i think like they like them but also they've been huge um hits with the their audience you know yeah for but sure anyway all right so piggybacking off of that then what are their highlights um, do you want to touch on from the album? I mean, the record. The record. <laughs> I like the breakdown of only, like in the middle there. Da-na. Like the guitar kind of mimics the vocal phrase. Um, yeah. I, I, I think the lead guitar in this album is very vocal. I like it a lot. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, I one thing I like about Black Lodge, I like so much about it, but I really like... Um, I, it's really intelligent lyric writing where John Bush kind of stacks his vocals. Like every time he goes to the pre-chorus, he has another line to it. Mm. Um, which, Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So basically he just gives you like a taste of the, of the pre-chorus. Um, he goes, I am a witness to your demise. Oh yeah. And then the second time he adds, I am the one who saw through lies. Oh, right, right, right. He just keeps adding another line. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like you're right, man. It, it's like a story where he keeps giving you more of the story, and then at the end, you see my love is always my love. My love, yeah. My, and then he goes up, and here, let me play that actually because it's super sick. It's just, yeah, I love this song, dude. Like this was like one of my favorite from this albums of uh, this album, big time. That sultry voice, man. Listen to that. here we go right so that's the first line right this first line yeah 
Yeah, that's sick, dude. Yeah, the the blind parts. That's the only part of the song that you hear that in, and that's when he gets uh, like that high kind of flourish at the end with power. So yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. It's like the song is cool because it's um, it's it's like ultra depressing, like in its context, like what's going on. But but he still is uh, rebelling against that that feeling with with you know bringing his like his fire into it, you know, and trying to get through it any way he can. Hmm. Um, which I think is a big part of his uh, his vocal style. It's like, well, many parts of this, of this album means that he's kind of like contemplating on the uh, something going wrong in his life, right? Or he's he's agitated, or, or collectively they're agitated, or they're uh, frustrated by something in life or someone, but they're getting through it by using the power of uh, of, of, of heavy metal. metal. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. Yeah, um, a little tidbit here is I heard because I'm a super anthrax nerd. Um, I heard that this song was uh, inspired by the show Twin Peaks, right? Which I don't know anything about, and uh, but apparently this this song and there was like a Black Lodge or something in the show or I, I don't anyway. But just throwing that out there, if there's any tw- Twin Peaks fans, uh, that that was directly you know they were like. As well as being, as we've talked about, very introspective on on um, this album, they were also like big nerds, you know. Like they had, like earlier on, they had like you know the song about um, Judge Dredd, you know. Yeah, I'm the law. Right? I'm the law, and you know <laughs> that later on that they how rudely did the uh, Hollywood make the movie with one of my favorites, Sylvester Stallone, but not include I Am the Law as, <laughs> on the soundtrack. So rude. <laughs> still angry about that no um but you know but and you know they were huge like notoriously big comic book nerds i mean obviously that's a comic book so and then so i was like it's kind of cool and funny that you know to make songs about like movies and shit that you're really into i mean iron maiden that's iron maiden's whole career (laughs) it's books all right books and movies and tv shows that they're into like you know um but yeah, that, so that's kind of, I thought that was like a funny little tidbit, but there's also some deep philosophical and introspective uh, topics, of course, throughout this incredible record. All right, let's see. Um, where are we at? Oh, yeah. Uh, any other highlights? Um, still, still... I mean, just go back to technical power. I think like, uh, you know, just like the, the you know, like the, the down picking over, over the track, but um I really like uh, the jumping in parts field, and this and the last one. This is not an exit. Like I, I like, uh, I like how fast like it's going. It sounds it sounds really tight, and um, it just adds a lot to uh, to the album. And it kind of just gets it back to the old school, you know. So it's not too far away from the old school. Yeah, kind of like that. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I have a I have a hot take on on this is not an exit. By the way also way up there on i mean god this album has so many good songs that it's really hard to rank them mm-hmm. but this has got to be like top five for me which is that's a tough group to be in on this album i just love i love every song but there's definitely a solid top six or seven that is like you know better than the bottom like four or whatever i think and so this is, this is right up there for me but um lately it's even kind of gotten uh, elevated into my 
I would say, I don't know, it might even be higher than top five, but, but just, there's one thing I wanted to point out, um, in that middle, this, uh, yeah, this, this riff right here, you know, when we talk about like the foreshadowing and what, what's to come in metal, right. With the younger, newer bands. And this next part is like such a like machine head riff to me. Not this one, sorry. Look at, oh yeah, and dude, listen, the bass right here. Oh, that's glorious. Just glorious right there. Your bass player. Yeah, I, I love, uh, I love this tone. I like. Here we go. This is the riff. Sorry to cut you off, Paul. But this is the machine head riff. Like straight up, dude. I, I don't know which song I'm thinking of, but it's like such a oh, machine. Oh, I, I almost want to say it's something off of the more things change. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, man. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um. It, at first glance, uh, this album, like the you know songs, like you remember songs, but. There's all these little parts to them where, where they uh, they have a lot of they have a big bag of tricks and they pull it out here and there. I mean, like Dan Spitz says, like little tricks and stuff. But the songs have these little flourishes and fills that you almost forget about, and then you hear them again. So like one song is it's pretty simple, but it has all these complex little things going on with it back and forth. Yeah, man. Totally. No, yeah, and that song that's a long that's actually a really long song, but. I mean, it's uh, six, almost seven minutes. Um, <laughs> man, that's a hell of a fucking song. What? What? It, yeah, you almost don't don't ever don't feel the seven minutes. It's one of those. It's I like those songs where they're long, but you don't you don't really feel the time the time go by. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, man. But dark, dark as fuck, and just man, that that's like a like evil, but just really heavy too, man. Like just really heavy, sludgy. John Bush gets. You know, shows his chops on that one. Yeah, he you know he spreads his wings a little bit, and uh, it's definitely like a vocalist song. Um, I think uh, the lyrics are quite interesting too because there, I mean, there's a lot of talk here about um, immortality, and it, it's not an exit. It, like, there's no way to die out of this life, or you know, there's no way out. So, um, mm. I wonder what exactly he's talking about. But to me, it sounds like. He's exploring like um, there's no easy way out of this. Like we have to deal with this, what we're going through, maybe some depression or something. Got to fight huh. through it. I'm not sure. I tend to, I listen to a song for a while. I get to know it. Then I like, okay, I want to know what, I want to know more about it. Like I'm almost like completionist, you know, perfectionist in that matter. <laughs> I want to know every aspect of the song, but there's also like a nice little, uh, quality about music and, and lyrics where there's a little bit of anonymity to it where the, the listener makes his own opinion up about it and that kind of like amplifies or multiplies the meaning of it around the world you know to all these different people that listen to the song so you put out a song yeah, hell yeah. if your song is has that quality then it's like the the meaning of it grows exponentially you know definitely definitely um, okay, let's see here. Uh, oh, let's just really quickly. 
I, you know, we, we pretty much talked about the production, but, uh, we didn't really get into the drums. So I just really quickly wanted to get your thoughts on, on the drum sound of this record. Man, that's a big question. Yeah, I've never been questioned. And his playing. And his playing. Well, his playing is is super cool because, uh, for lack of a better word, I, I use pretty cheesy, uh, uh, you know, adjectives and stuff. But basically, the, uh, um, I think that he it's kind of uh, deceiving what he's playing because you don't always know what this guy's doing. Because what yeah. sounds like a tom is like a bass drum. And then, like, you think he's playing the, the civil bass pattern, but he's actually playing toms, you know? So, uh when you see him with videos, right, right, right. It, it, it's almost like he learned uh, his own way, or maybe he he made his own way of playing. Uh, he has like a bunch of really awesome, like, like a, uh, go ahead. No, that's a good observation. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's got like like a lot of like what I really like is I, I like the sound of like congas and like exotic drums, like the big Korean yeah. drums, and he's got like that kind of tonality where it sounds like he's hitting like this thing that more like a mid range or low mid drum where it has that, that kind of like tribal kind of sound to it. And totally it's a big part of the album. You, you hear it, you hear it a lot. Uh, gosh, I forgot which one, but, but the, it's all over the album. So it's not a stock sound. A lot of thought went into the drumming. I think a lot of thought always goes into the recording of the drums. It's a big part of their, their sound. Yeah. I mean, well, so, so there's a couple of things there um, with the production style on this that's one of the things is it's it's really like live and big sounding so i think that's part of the reason why uh you're you're not able to hear the difference as well is because the the articulation does get lost a little bit on this but i i love it i think it sounds great it's kind of like a great in-between place where there is enough articulation but it it also does have a very live and kind of big room sound to it you know uh, yeah. which I like. It was like a kind of perfect for this record. You know, it just sounds like big and dark, you know? And um, so to me, it it's perfect, but it's, you do lose a little bit of articulation. And so, yeah, some of those types of things are going to get a little lost in the shuffle when he's doing like kick and, and Tom kind of stuff, which he does a lot of on this record. Great playing, man. I was actually um, messing around with it a little bit last night on, on my, um, electronic kit and cool just it gave me like a new appreciation for his playing for for one thing there's like a lot of like kind of funk like even on like uh room for one more for instance right it's almost like a funk beat you know on on the um on the uh the verse you know and the beat he's playing it's like there's like some kind of ghost note it's just like a funky his kick pattern's like a single most of the time he, he kind of goes in between double and single but the single kick pattern it's like real funky you know so yeah pretty pretty sick stuff man and um the other thing what i think you're alluding to with the toms it same song if you take room for one more that that intro did you gotta do gotta do like most people if you hear a riff like that you know it's that you would just like kind of think especially a big double bass player you were just thinking he's playing double bass. So we're just like, oh. you, or maybe the easiest thing is just to replicate that pattern on the double kick. And you're right. He's actually not fully playing a double bass beat. It, it actually, what I kind of realized just fucking around with it was it's, it's basically the Indians beat like flipped a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, Indians, and the, 
you know, he's doing like a the the the, the double stroke, the gaga, the gaga, and this is so it's basically kind of like the same riff but kind of like the phrase is just is moved around or shifted a little bit <laughs> oh i see yeah so but good good catch there man because like that that one always kind of like confused me and you're right like the video helped me like understand what he was playing too i remember seeing it back in the day i'm like oh so he's doing like a kind of a double stroke on the on the toms you know right so, yeah. and and it's kind of like um, yeah it, it's kind of like uh I, well i think this guy is like master double kick so he's able to do the double kick notes on different uh toms and snares and stuff like that like that mentality yeah uh, so he's able to pull the rhythm around physically around the, the drum kit more and it's actually nice because the the beat like the actual note beat of uh what we hear with the, with the bass drum stays solid you know, and it gives you that punch because yeah. his tempo is is easy to acknowledge, but those little ghost beats are, are what makes it special. What could, his style is very different than a lot of other drummers, and I think that's a big part of their sound is that that style. I I agree, man. Like, um, there's some shit. Yeah, there's some definitely some some intricate, like sophisticated playing on this. Where I I just think in in his field of I mean, there were all those guys were great, you know, in their own right. You know, the the big four guys, you know, Dave Lombardo and yeah, um, Lars and uh, who's well, I guess uh, Nick Menza was the guy in, in Megadeth at, at that time. Yep. And um, they're yeah, they're all great in their own right. But like, there's like a, I think you're right in the sense that he brings in more different styles, you know, like funk and just just yeah, like like a pattern like that where just like I don't know that all those guys would have thought of that riff that way, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, I would have just like, Oh yeah. You just go, you know, use the double kick and do something like you could do something with the toms, you know, but still do like a double kick under it or something. But he, he kind of went somewhere else with it, you know, and there's, there's like a, a finesse about the beat that he chose, you know? Yeah. It's definitely, I, I like Charlie a lot because, um, his, uh, his playing is, is, is always, um, uh, I would say intentional. You know, he, he yeah, for sure. He really he's a thinker. He's all, like constantly very technical about okay, this is what I'm doing. And then maybe to the guys, he's like, uh, "All right, guys, well, I'm, I'm just gonna switch out this one note. I, I like this more." And then the guys like, "Whatever, you know." But for him, it's a big deal because he can kind of like, understand that 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 difference, you know, and how it feels. So, like a drummer is like, man, to be a drummer, like, uh, it's it's a big job because you have to. Uh, you have such a presence and the engine of the song that whatever you do really shifts what other people in the band do too, you know? Um, totally. I mean, you know, you're drummers as well as, as a singer. So you have both, you have both aspects of that, uh, of the, of the, like the bandwidth of, of a band, which is that singer and drummer are pretty different, but they are like that, the slices of bread in the band, you know, rock and roll. <laughs> totally. Absolutely, man. And, um, yeah, just I, you know, kind of like going back on this that whole intro and that whole part that you know that recurring part in in uh, room for one more. But because you mentioned earlier about the 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 way they recorded it with the left right the stereo kind of stuff and the effect and the accenting you know da 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 you know da da you know like the accenting different parts and um and then the you know just all that kind of stuff and there's I just people just go listen to it. It's it's cool and and probably put on some headphones if you got them because 
you're right. There's like, it's just the way they do it. That's just anthrax. Like that's, that's the way they play that part. I don't know that any other band would have done it just like that, you know? Cause you can hear a heavy riff and just go like, Oh, you know, like a heavy riff, you know, that's metal. Right. You know, but the way they did that and the way they recorded that part is like, it's very much them, you know, it kind of sets them apart from another band that might play the exact same riff. Right. Yeah. It's that's, that's it. It's like, um, you know, there's a way to play heavy metal. That's like, everybody says, okay, that's heavy metal. But the bands that really shine or, you know, like step out of the norm a little bit are the ones that, uh, change things and make it their own you know we're like okay well are we gonna we're gonna cover the sanfrax song but it's like a uh we can't really approach it like it is just a heavy metal song this is an anfrax song or this you know this is like a this is like a primus song or something right where it's like you can't really jump into it it's like or this is like a rush song i oh okay i gotta do my homework for this one <laughs> you know this is tough, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, tough. <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like lunar math you know it's like calculus or something so <laughs> we have to really have our stuff down, which I think Primus is uh, playing some shows where they're covering, uh, I think they're covering Rush, a whole Rush set. Um, oh, no way. Uh, Tribute to Kings, I think that's what it is, yeah. Um, oh, shit, huh? I, I think our, our friend Matt would know about that because he likes Primus. Uh, yeah. But basically... Uh, oh, that's that's rad, man. Yeah, um, Les Claypool was a huge, or is a huge fan, sorry, um, of Getty Lee. Right. It's one of his biggest, uh, biggest influences and I like him both, man. I can listen to Gay Lee and, you know, but not to mention, you know, Frank Bello. Frank Bello, he, uh, he did, he toured a little bit with Helmet for their comeback album, and that was pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. I saw him on, I saw him play with Helmet, actually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was a really cool mashup. And, uh, basically, yeah, all these guys in the band, like, there's not one person that has, like, a mediocre tone. Even Dan Spitz, like, his tone is, is, it's, I can pick it out. You know, it's pretty memorable. It's pretty cool. Absolutely, man. We we didn't do a lot of spits, but the I, you know we did start <laughs> off saying the lead playing is super sick on this record. And you're right. There's like a lot of callbacks to the vocal um, melody, you know. And but I love that, man. I love and I, I love the lead playing is is sick. I think it's next level for them on on this record. Whoever we need to give credit to for that. <laughs> um. Okay, we're getting towards the end. I got I got one more thing for this. Is just for the the listening audience um go check out i was watching uh uh on youtube right go check out anthrax 1998 live and if you can put this in essen i I think i'm assuming it's in germany but or somewhere near germany so i'm not sure that the language but it's e-s-s-e-n and there's like a it's like this video where it's like the show and an interview and they kind of cut between the two scenes. Right. And, um, dude, the show, I think the, so again, there's 98, like this was like, I feel like they're at almost like at their peak, like the height of their powers because like, especially John Bush, like his voice was just at this point, they were so much more seasoned as a touring band, um, as, as that unit, you know, with that unit. And, um, right. you know, I, things obviously too, were getting heavier as the decade went along, just the, just the heavy music scene as, as a whole. And so you hear that and feel that there's just like more of an aggression and a different presence than, than a lot of those guys had in like, you know, say the late eighties, you know, there's just like a way about being on stage that, you know, I, I don't know. I just see like, there's just a more of more aggression, you know, 
Yeah. And, um, and you know, they just, they were doing it so much too, that they, they had gotten better at it, you know, like there's something to be said for chemistry, building chemistry over years and stuff. So anyway, check that video out, people. I mean, good Lord, man. Like it is just, it's crushing and it's like John Bush just sounds amazing. And it's like, check that one out. And then, uh, got a couple more questions for you, Alex. Okay. Um, all right. So who was this band a gateway for, for you? Like, we, we, you know, you answered the question about what was the gateway to Anthrax. Was Anthrax a gateway to other bands for you? Oh man, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think basically almost everything, to be honest with you. Not, not to be uh, uh, speaking generally, but um, you know, once I got into this album, uh, yeah, then I went to Volume Eight, and then I kind of went back actually, listened to some of the older Anthrax stuff because I missed it. I, I was John Bush from the get-go you know so i went to the belladonna stuff in the 80s and uh kind of saw what, what came of that but it, yeah i just opened the door to the whole 80s and late uh, 70s music actually then i started getting into more like uh just general rock from the 70s and also like psychedelia like pink floyd and all that and uh okay then i went back into the 90s <laughs> then i got more like into deftones and tool and uh it just the whole the whole branch of that alternative and grunge and all that stuff. And it, it, I have to speak generally because, uh, Africa's one of the first CDs I had or first albums that, that I actually, uh, that I listened to. So it, it, it played a big role in my life. Actually, now that I think about it. Um, and then just all the way to, uh, some of the stuff I'm listening to now, which, um, you know, I like, uh, listened to a lot of Mastodon lately, uh, like, you know, crack the sky and blood mountain, um oh, yeah. i'm listening to uh i see it's all over the place to be honest I'm, I'm really just trying to find new music that i may have overlooked i think that's what what all avid music listeners do they have their favorites but then they're like well maybe there's other, that little gem that got passed up this year that's awesome but no one made a big deal about it so i'm gonna look for that album you know so that's kind of like what i'm doing right. right now uh but but long story short um Man, they got a lot of good elements, dude. And like, you know, like the one band you mentioned, Allison Chains earlier. The funny thing in my notes here is that I mentioned that I think the only band that uh, I can hear an, an element of in this album is Allison Chains. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely, man. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny, man. Like I've had people bring that up. Um, there was actually another podcast. Um, I listened to that brought that up several times i was like oh and but i had heard that from somebody else too um just in my life and and uh and it's kind of a weird thing because i i mean i do hear it i'm a huge allison chains fan also but it's just something that never occurred to me when i was younger you know and it's like oh, you, absolutely even some of the uh gosh i, I think it was that that uh Sodium pentothal song that we mentioned earlier, the NA one, but uh, there you go, S- sodium pentothal. It's just like it's it. in the following cabinet that it comes out. You know, you're like, Yo, okay, I remember the song title now, but it, it, yeah, exactly. But, sodium pentothal still sounds great to me. <laughs> An imitation of life buried in theology. Now, see, like that one actually does kind of sound more like them with Joey Belladonna. Ah, yeah, I can see that. You can, like, you know what I mean? Right. It's a little more punk rock, a little more like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Because, you know, like, Lane Staley had that, like, um, 
kind of sound like your old grandpa singing, you know? So that's what I always think of when I think of Alice in Chains. And like, uh, in that song, I think, uh, I mean, that song, I think it was it. Like, yeah, John Bush kind of has like that, kind of like a funnier voice, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it's, is that like a, is, are they in a major key? Is that what that is? It sounds. But it's just. Yeah, it sounds like, I think it's just, I think it might be what part of his vocal system he's working with i don't know i'm not a singer but, but. it definitely has more of a, a a happier like um punk rock kind of like just like a happier vibe than the rest of the album you know yeah if you played it people would be like oh yeah that's cool you know like um i like that yeah, song but we I, I i think it's just like they're listening yeah you're right because if you sang those lyrics um he's talking about about that's uh, delusion there's no confusion, just a hypocrite who never cops to it. You know, it's like just, it's you know what I mean. It's just so different. It is different, uh, and I think like it's like dark humor because uh, I think Sodium Pinnacle is like that, um, like that. Uh, well, basically, it's like a suicide pill or something like that. The military have so if they get oh, is it if they get caught behind enemy lines, they take it so that they they can't divulge through torture the secrets and stuff of the. Oh shit! Um, so I think I think that's what it is, and that's why it says sounds like great idea to me because you know it's like because <laughs> he can't stand the person. Jo- John Bush has a, a, a low tolerance for people, so he, a lot of people piss him off. And uh... <laughs> imitation of a life buried in theology. I think I think um, I, I, my guess is more that comes from Scott Ian. Ah, yeah. Like when you hear them in interviews, I think the cynicism is more Scott Ian, you know, and the, the, the sort of like the anger about people and people being stupid and all that kind of stuff. Like I just, I get the sense that that's more of the Scotty and uh, chip. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Very good point. Uh, I, I think you're right on that one. I think you're right. Just, uh, he's like a very, he, he's like a smart dude. He's like, um, what's the word? He's like, a uh, like into philosophy, you know, he's kind of like a, like a thinker. He's a real like head, like a heady, a very heady kind of dude, you know? Yeah, I mean, he always sounds like he's he's got something to say. He's very opinionated, and he's uh, he's definitely like got um, he's a wisecracker too, you know. So he has a good wit. Oh, for sure, no, <laughs> no question. No, they're legit funny, man. Like I, that was the other thing that came across. First of all, I gotta say, like Scott Ian has real presence, dude. Like legit. That's why he was like, I think he he hosted like different shows on TV. I I, I can't remember what show, but. He might have even been like a host on MTV or I don't know, but he's very good on camera. He's very funny. Like you said, the wit, you know, like um, good on his toes and all that shit. So, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, he's definitely like the spokesman for the band, you know? Yeah, he's very, you know, recognizable, like goatee and stuff. And like, I mean, he, well, I think he's the only member that's been there the whole time since the beginning. I believe so. Uh, what about Charlie? Well, Char- pretty sure Charlie is there too. Charlie came. Uh, he came a little bit later. They went through a couple of jars. They had like the very first. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I was reading up. On, I, I I didn't know either, so I had to do, brush up on my uh, Anthrax history. But look at you, man, doing your homework. <laughs> oh yeah, like if 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 I take it to your show, I'm not. You know, I'm gonna be prepared. I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not gonna like uh, bumble my way through it. You know, so this we're talking about like Anthrax here. We're not. We're not fucking around. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> Excuse my my language, but basically, um, the uh, you know to add to that, I want to say like uh, a lot of Mina Machine Head and Fear Factory, uh, more Pantera. 
and uh, mm. more Metallica and even more like David Lynch movies. Like started getting into him because I heard, and then David Lynch like I started to uh, I saw a movie where um, gosh I think it was I think it was Mulholland Drive where uh, Rammstein was in it and it was like super oh, wow. intense. Uh, they, their music was in there, so I started getting into Rammstein and uh, just got really interested in how like uh, the vocalists like operatic, you know, with heavy metal and all that, and uh, super tight. So yeah, basically, um, I think these guys in Anthrax have a lot of influences, and then when you listen to them, you get influenced to check out other stuff, like you get out of your bubble and go, you know, open your mind a little bit. So they open your mind in that way where they kind of show you. They don't tell you, they kind of just show you what this is another way to do things, you know. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. What can up-and-coming bands learn from Anthrax? I mean, we've been kind of talking about that the whole time, but if there's anything specific to, uh, you know, young up-and-coming bands. Hmm. I, well, I guess I could relate that to, like, what I learned from them, and um, I think it, it pertains to everyone uh, that's starting a band, like, say somebody start a band tomorrow, you can learn from these guys, because, first of all, the, the longevity, like, they're still, they're still doing it, and they, like you said, they've been fortunate yeah. enough to still be doing it. They have the fans... But how did that happen? Well, I, I think, I think their band name is is cool. It, it sounds good and it fits like it fits their music. Like it's memorable. Uh, so yeah. I think you did a good job with that. I think that um, the music's always been tight. They, they never have a track that I've heard that's kind of flubby or they half-assed it. Right. They're real technical and they know when their stuff's off and they they're really good at like like. Uh, kind of like metering themselves like okay well i think that could be tighter he tells that guy so they, they never they never slack they're always on it so really hard working which i yep, I, I think yep. a lot of bands have honestly i think everybody nowadays that i meet is super hard working because that's the only way to be like you mentioned like don't use uh you know if, if you just do it like straight up with the recording if you actually prepare for it that music always sounds good like when there's no, yeah. there's not that much studio trickery. It's just like raw, you know. And then uh, maybe like the studio trickery is like a little bit of an instrument here and there, but the main instruments have like a human playing it and really trying hard and recording, do a good job. That's like the best, the best outcome. Um, I think you know on that really, really quick. Sorry, but sure. just I feel like there's a big misnomer about the you know the fact that you know for people that you know lay people that um that you know aren't musicians or haven't recorded. Um, I think there's like a misnomer that because we have the tools that people cheat all the time. And that has not been my experience at all with, um, at least with bands and, and artists that I know and that I'm aware of. Like I just see, man, people grinding and working and to get great takes. And, and, um, that's like, you know, I don't know, man. And just producers we've worked with. I mean, it's like, they don't let you off the hook, man. It's like, it's like, no, like we're not, you know, if, the only way, like they say, I've, I remember this saying from years back, you can't polish a turd, right? So it's yeah. like, you can do studio trickery, but it's all about that original tone and that original take. Like, so you got to get the right tone, you know, with what, whatever you're doing, guitar, drums, whatever you're recording. And then, yeah. and then you got to get the good take, man. And so like, we'll, 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 we'll push to get the take, you know, anyway, it's just some something I, I wanted to put out there because as you're saying that, I was thinking like, I think that's a big misnomer, man. I've never, I don't really know any artists, you know, that or producer that are of that mind to like, well, we'll just like fix it later. You know, it's like, like I don't know. It's a trip. 
I, even though we have tools, you know? Yeah. I, I mean that like when I hear about that going on, it's usually bigger bands that are going through like a really hard spot or they're at the verge of breaking up. So they don't talk to each other and they email stuff back and forth. But if you're still like four guys or whatever, that are guys or girls coming into a uh, studio and jamming it out, then, um, you know, the realistic part is, is that, you know, nothing beats like being able to play something with your hands, you know? And, yeah. and the good, the real display of a great song, I think is if you can strip away all the effects and all the extra instruments, just play it like on guitar and have someone sing it. That's a good song. If it can hold up to that. Um, so th- that's like my two cents. And then I would say that um, you're very right about the take, you know, so, like in my experience, like, my singer or me will have a great take and we'll try to like extend it or make it more than it is. But that original take is usually what we use. And I've heard it time and time again, mm-hmm. that's what people yeah. do. And like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't even Metallica, like in the studio, like with Bob Rock, like a perfectionist, you know, and like uh, Hammett too. And he would just try and try, but that original take was usually chosen unless something went horribly wrong, you know, <laughs> but, right. but pretty much, uh, yeah, I mean, these tools exist, but, um, it's like a toolbox, you know, like like if you have too many tools, wh- wh- where's my hammer at? Where's my screwdriver? I can't find it. So you get, get kind of like nausea, like ad nauseum. So sometimes <laughs> it's best to strip away things. Like I think um, uh, personally, I like to have as little gear as possible. So if something breaks on, on my on my rig, it's not a big deal to me. I can just keep going, you know? Um, so I have that old school mentality, but... I, I think there's a lot of beautiful sounds you can make with, with technology too, helping you, but just don't rely on it. Like your song should stand up without all that tech, you know? Right. No, that's a good point. I like that. It's really good. Yeah. Well, man, pitch your music, man. Just to tell it, tell everyone where they can, um, can, is there stuff? I know there's stuff online. Yeah, check out. yeah, we're constantly working hard, like on on revising stuff. Cause just two guys, we're you know we're trying to get a drummer going, and and we're we're working with a, a guitar, a new guitarist that we're kind of like training too on the songs. But for right, oh, nice. but for right now, um, it, it's me and my friend Eddie, and we're we're Beyond the Cube, and you can go on YouTube and just put in Beyond the Cube one word, and you'll see we have five videos up there, and we just put up one called On My Way yesterday. And oh, nice! It, it, I haven't it, seen that one. It's more of a chilled out song, uh, and more bluesy and like like folk driven. But what I like to do with music is like Amphrax and uh, you know like Joe too. Like we have a lot of influences all over the place. We we don't just listen to one kind of music. So the songs that I like to make all sound very different and different styles. So if you like one of our songs, then please listen to the others, and you may see that. Um, we have uh, different inspirations and it's a whole different kind of sonic sonic experience, you know? Um, and we just constantly try to create songs that sound new and exciting, but most of all, unique. So it's Beyond the Cube on YouTube and hopefully I'll be posting more stuff on Facebook as, as I get more into that too. But uh, yeah, so that's my music. We're still making music, even though we're in, we're in weird times right now. I find myself making more music than ever now because I really want to express myself nowadays. And, uh, and I want to thank uh, Joe for, uh, for doing this and having uh, the courage to come out and do his podcast. I think it's really cool. I, I, I have enjoyed a lot of these podcasts. 
Um, Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, in your face, coronavirus. Yeah, and you know, I think just for everybody listening uh, out there, I, I'm on my soapbox now. But basically, uh, it, you know, let's not be afraid of each other, and, and let's not um, change our lives too much here. We have to uh, adjust a little bit, but don't forget who you are, and don't forget the inner inner strength that you have and the courage so to move forward. And you know, call your friends every day and see how they're doing, and uh, and and stay stay friends with people. You know, let's let's get through it. Yeah, man. And, you know, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I di- I'm digging the new stuff that I've heard. And um, I just wanted to tell the audience, too, that, you know, the videos are fantastic, man. I, yeah, great work. So, oh, well, thank you, Alex. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll, you know, do another one soon. Absolutely, Joe. Uh, yeah, Joe, keep it up. It's awesome. I can't wait for the next one. And, and thank you so much uh, for having me on and chatting about uh, great music. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, man. Thank you, sir.